Episode 227 of the Bitcoin Podcast. Coming to you backwards. I'm host number three, Dr. Corey Petty. And I'm host number two, D. Host number one, Marcello couldn't make it today. So in his stead, we have the awesome Taylor Monahan from MyCrypto. Say what's up. Hey, hey, how's it going? Pretty good. You've been up to quite a bit since the last time we chatted. I think you forgot what episode we had you on, but... uh I think immediately after the episode, you ran and had a baby. Yep, that's how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> we were joking because, like, during the podcast, we didn't even know that you were pregnant. Like, I, know, I, I don't, it's I never see you in real life, other than like maybe once a year, and then the rest of it's just your face on like a camera. Yeah, because if you don't stand up, you you would never know. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that's uh, pretty much how it was. So, how's how's life for you? It's good. It's obviously a little bit chaotic um, because there's like a baby that we have to take care of. And it's also really, I'm not going to say hard, but um, it changes your priorities a bit. So, you know, I'm up until 3 a.m. like playing with her and feeding her instead of sitting on my computer and soaking in all the crypto news and stuff. But you know, we're good. I had heard similar stories. Before we dive into that, um, I got a plug I got to make real quick. Uh, so we're uh, a, a sponsor of the Crypto Invest Summit um, happening on October 22nd through the 24th in the Los Angeles Convention Center. And we've got a promo code for you if you'd like to go. There's, we're going to have a few people from the podcast show up there, walk around, uh, get some interviews, do some B-roll and just hang out. So if you want to get access to them, as well as the amazing guest list at the summit, uh, go to CryptoInvestSummit.io slash registration and enter the promo code TBP30. That's TBP30 for 30% off your ticket price. So uh, it's coming up real soon. Go see some people from the podcast, hang out. Unfortunately, none of us will make it, me, Chella, or D, but uh, we got like four people from the other shows going, so... Make it out there, and uh, like to to move on to like kind of like more stuff that Taylor's doing. Like Kevin tweeted something out the other day that congratulated you on being uh, nominated for one of the most influential most influential people in blockchain from uh, from Coinbase, and so you were made it on a list. Let's see, I'm looking at the survey here, uh, and the entrepreneurs and builders section. Yeah. And so. First off, congratulations on that. That's pretty awesome. And it, I, I love that this isn't like a most influential woman thing. It's just most influential person. Yes, I completely agree with that. 
Um, this list is pretty epic. Like when I caught word that I, I made the list, I was like, (laughs) 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 I don't know. It's, It's weird to see your own name kind of like wrapped in between all of your, you know, like the people that I respect the most and that I watch and that I, you know, I, that influenced me on how to like build better products or run a company better or, you know, I mean, there's remarkable people on this list, so. And then there's like my name, and I'm like, "What are you doing there?" <laughs> do you think they do feel the same like... way? I don't know. I bet they do. I mean, if you're if you're Brian Armstrong, like I think you're you might be used to it by now. Uh, maybe he's got a very Lex Luthory vibe to him. <laughs> he's getting more <laughs> Lex Luthory as time goes on. He used to be just kind of Lex. Now he's now he's getting full blown Lex Luthor. What? <laughs> What uh, is one of the like the influencers? I guess that you you just mentioned you're used to you know admiring these people and watching and listening to these people. What's one um, other name on the list that you are very very proud to be in good company with? Um, probably Eric Voorhees of Shapeshift. I just, I have immense respect for him and I especially love, he has figured out how to like maintain his, uh, his like personal passion views, like his, his, who makes it, it, it makes him him. Right. But it's also very old school crypto. Like it's old school. Like it's, it's that true libertarian crypto anarchist kind of vibe. But he hasn't let that, the fact that he's like running a very successful company and, you know, that type of stuff, like he still gets on Twitter and and calls Fiat a scam and stuff. And I just love that. I think a lot of people have like the the sort of the rough edges sanded down as their company grows and they have more people around them and especially like dedicated people for social media and uh, not, he just goes on Twitter and calls Fiat a scam and reminds us well why we're all here and I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, think I wonder what kind of Indian rug burden they put him through to have the KYC stuff that he added earlier in the year. Was yeah, that a yeah. rug burn? <laughs> they got him, man. They cornered him in a room and gave him an Indian rug burn. I don't think it's called an Indian rug burn. I don't think there's a rug involved with an Indian burn. Yeah, it is, right? <laughs> it's not like they're. It's not like Indians rug. like wrestling on rugs. It's just that the. It's like where they take your hand and they do this thing. You can't see it because we're only audio, but anyway. Wait, no. It's called an Indian rug burn. I, I don't think it is. Someone Google this shit. Yeah, D, get on that. <laughs> get on that. I, don't think, I think you're wrong, and so I challenge you to look it up. Fine. I'm going to Google it. It's like a game of Scrabble. Oh, we have we have an Indian... Oh, man. Okay, so we have an Indian burn, which is under a list of school pranks. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. All right, and then there's an Urban Dictionary definition for Indian rug burn, oh, which no. is a. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh. No. Nope. Oh, okay. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right, audience. If you're curious okay. what an Indian rug burn is, yeah. Um, yeah. Here's a disclaimer. Don't do that at work. Listen, yeah. You know. Put earmuffs on. But an Indian rug burn. <laughs> should we say it? It's pretty adult. It's really adult. I've never heard this before. I don't give a shit. This is my show. 
It is the All act right. of giving oral sex while simultaneously moving both hands in opposite directions on the shaft of the penis. That's what the definition is. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where D's head was when he first introduced the concept, whereas mine was talking about a childhood school prank. I was thinking about the childhood prank, but I mean, Voorhees could have got, got either. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like I, I kind of like see Voorhees as the like, um, like the if you look at like I don't know what's that that book called Tale of Two Paths or something or like you know it's oh yeah Tale of Two Tales or tale, whatever it is uh, Tale of Two Cities maybe that's what it is I don't know I'm I'm uneducated uh like when you look Don't at roger yeah. <laughs> you look at roger ver and eric Voorhees, and then and then like charlie shrimp of like the early days and how they were kind of you know in cohorts and or cahoots and various things and he's the one that like ended out like maintaining his ideology and passion for why he was in the space but not like selling out yeah yeah Exactly. Yeah. Or like, I do or like think that be be like changed into this public persona that that gets reinforced by their behavior. I don't know. It's like, but if you look at the other two, they 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 seem like almost like mouthpieces versus people who are. I don't know. It's it's a it's a very different public opinion on the three of the, on the three of those people. Yeah, I think it helps that he's he's really like he has like a very solid product to build and put his energy behind um and that's like where his focus is obviously like his products and his team um i do think that that it was probably a very hard choice for him to do like the shapeshift membership change based on you know everything that he believes but i can say this like when you have a business and when you have a team and you're basically like, you know, someone comes up to you and says, hey, you can take path one or you can like, you know, fight and kick and scream and, and say fuck the government. But like your company probably won't exist in a couple of years. Like no matter what, you're going to you're going to take option one. And, and while you do that, figure out how to, you know, within the, the bounds of the law and, and the regulation and stuff, you know, get out from from under that in the long run. But your priority is like your team, like your family, like your your company and and making sure that you still can contribute to the ecosystem and, you know, keep everything up and running and alive. So I understand like the choice and the decision that they had to make, but it, it had to be hard for him. I wonder if there's like a equivalent saying it's like too big to fail uh, along the lines of like uh, too big to not compromise. Yeah. I mean, just imagine, like, I'm sure, you know, they were looking at the regulatory environment and they were looking at, you know, the next five years and they were saying, like, basically shit, like, this isn't, you know, mm-hmm. this is the path that we have to go down. Um, and I think, I think they're also really, really smart because I think they're doing it now during this sort of bearish market where people can kind of adjust and the next wave of new users, it'll, that'll just be sort of how it is. Um, I think we're going to see the similar services. So like the Changelies and, and those guys are going to have to do the same thing that Shapeshift did, but they're going to do it at a later point in time. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe uh, 
they had wanted to do this for a long time, but they were basically constantly putting out fires. They never had the chance to implement new features. And in the bear market, they've had the chance to do so. Or do you think this is a pressure from outside regulation and, and just staying alive? So I think that if I had to guess, like this feature is going to be something that's a positive and a better experience for, I'll say like 90% of, of the people that like, not the current people, but the next wave of new users that enter the space, like 90% of them are going to benefit massively from, from this membership program. They're going to be able to have just like a more relatable experience. You're going to have simple things like your transaction history. Um, and then I think that the 10% and, and the people that are sort of in the space now and yelling about it, obviously, you know, the privacy minded, uh, you know, the, the no accounts needed, the like low barrier to entry. Um, Maximum anonymity. anonymity. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that if like an ideal sort of rollout would have been like having this sort of membership be optional. Um and so people who want to, to get those types of benefits or find benefits in, um, in, in things like having your transaction history and being able to easily open a support ticket um, while the people who, who, you know, like the Eric Voorhees of crypto. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I mean, like from a personal perspective, um, I used to use Shapeshift like crazy. Uh, that's basically how I, I changed. I did most of my trading um casually ship swapping bitcoin to ether at various times early in the way early days of, of of ether and stuff and um later on down the line when i was trying to do my taxes and calculate like you know where all my money was and where it came from so i can you know basically have an audit trail of of all the things that i had done in the space everything all things fell apart from all the trades i made with shapeshift because there was no trace of them and yeah. so like anything that I wanted to use in terms of an automated tool to track all the things that I used to do was just gone. There's just massive holes. So I couldn't account for anything. And so I was basically at a point where I was like, all right, well, this is, I guess, where I start now because I literally can't make an audit trail of the past. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a perfect example um, of, of something that like membership obviously is going to kind of solve. The other thing is like, how weird is it if you're like a brand new person entering the space and you want some ether um before the coinbase listed it that was literally the easiest way to do it is you go you bought bitcoin on coinbase and then you shape shift it to ether to your 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 wallet right mm -hmm. but how weird of an experience is it for someone to just be like oh i just send it to this shapeshift address um, I don't have like any way of logging in. I don't have any way of like finding that transaction in the future. And if something went wrong, um, you just like were emailing Shapeshift support being like, Hey, I did something. I didn't save shit. Help me. <laughs> you trying to explain <laughs> that to your wife? She's just like, you did what? You just sent yeah. money to who? You don't have an account? <laughs> Yeah, Shapeshift supports it, and they're like, "Well, if you didn't save literally any information, like you know, it's just it's it's really hard to help people as it is. But help people that have very little information uh, is even even more difficult. And we encountered this. You know, people would be like, "My transaction isn't showing up," or 
I sent this money, but it went to a different address. And I'm like, okay, what's your transaction, you know, hash? And, and they'd be like, I don't even know what that is. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I'm magical and I'll just find your money without any documentation or, or information whatsoever. <laughs> I'm sure when like, you I'll did, just- when you like, in some cases you <laughs> could get that type of stuff and they're just like, you're magic. And they're like, no, just keep track of what you're doing, man. <laughs> yeah. It's the blockchain. <laughs> like, so I don't know. We'll see. It's definitely like a big change in, yeah, in this ecosystem. And I just want to see decentralized exchanges become really voluminous. <laughs> yeah, that would be, I mean, that's, I guess that's where things go. Um, who was I talking to about this the other day? Oh, it was someone who was asking about, um, someone on our Slack asking about if they ever saw a potential where you would want to buy insurance on the rate of a transaction. It's like how fast you can get a transaction under the block. I remember that. And I was thinking like maybe in the future, sorry. like say if you wanted to buy insurance on how fast you could get a transaction into a block. So like say for like high volume times of Ethereum, it takes a real long time to get a transaction uh, confirmed. And you want to try and buy insurance on guarantees around the time it takes to get the transaction into a block. Okay. And they're, they're asking if that was a use case that we could even fathom would be useful in some scenario. And I, I was mean, thinking the only on the ICO. Yeah, like that. But like those aren't really an issue. That's not really an issue anymore based on the way ICOs right. work. Yeah. And I was thinking the only way that only thing I can think of um, off the top of my head was that was if you're doing um, like um, short term trading on decentralized networks. Mm hmm. Because eventually, decentralized networks will be the only times of sorry, decentralized markets will be the only kind of um, exchanges you can use to trade crypto. Hopefully, and that's and the technology allows for it. Once it's performant enough, it'll probably be the only the the, the real way to do it. But you you don't have those kind of guarantees or, or promises of performance like a centralized exchange would have because you're not actually doing crypto and centralized exchanges. You're just doing databasing and then, and then taking out crypto. Yep. Decentralized exchanges, it's going to be, we've got a ways to go. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but it's going to be very interesting how they evolve because I think a lot of people are sort of taking the notion of a centralized exchange and what the experience looks like. And then just trying to decentralize the entire thing, but trying to keep the same experience. And the reality is, is that, you know, some of those features or some of the functionality is very, very difficult to, to implement in a decentralized way. And I think that someone will probably come along and instead of just perfectly trying to mimic a centralized exchange, they will provide like a, a different experience. And like Bancor sort of like their mechanism is, is a little bit different. Um, but the, anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see who sort of wins the battle. Um, but right now, like the problem I see with them is that, you know, they're just not getting a ton of use. Uh, so the spreads can be just massive and, you know, I'm a big believer that like decentralization is, is great, but decentralization is not a reason to use like product A over product B. Like there has to be something else. So people didn't use my crypto because it was decentralized. 
um, versus like Coinbase. They used our product because it allowed them to uh, invest in ICOs and successfully get their tokens back from that ICO, which they couldn't do on Coinbase. Um, and that's a sort of a, a byproduct of being decentralized, but it's, you know, people didn't move from Coinbase to us because decentralization, you know, it's just because we could give them all their tokens while Coinbase can't. So you're saying people used my crypto because there was something they needed to get to and you were the facilitator of getting to that thing. Right. I've been talking about this for a long time and I think that's what is going to be the main motivator for people to use this technology. It's not because they want to use the technology. It's because they want to use some thing that the technology enables. And they don't right. really give a shit about how it works. It's just as long as it works appropriately for what they're trying to do. Right, exactly. So I don't know, like in order for decentralized exchanges to be the next thing and be really, really successful, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg problem. Like you have to have uh, volume and it has to be really easy to use, um, which is also like another little chicken and egg problem um, in order to get the prices to to match the markets on the centralized exchanges. Um and I'm not quite sure how you how you do that. How do you accomplish that um, if if the only feature decentralized exchange is offering is like the fact that it's decentralized, you know, but it's also harder to use and it's also slower, uh, and also you're going to be paying more for for any trade you do. The only thing I can see that's useful, or like like where it can it can fit a market, or like gain traction is if it can do something that centralized markets can't do. And like, I think what made Shapeshift so popular and, and so widely used is because it, it's integration into wallets. Mm -hmm. And like, you could basically have a wallet that was a multi-asset wallet like Jax. And it, it integrated Shapeshift so that you could just transfer it within your wallet and then have to go and move your funds to an exchange. That integration was the reason why people used it most. Because yeah. they didn't have to think about how to do stuff. It just worked inside their app that where they kept their, their tokens. So if you have something like that integrated into various things across the space that potentially centralized exchanges can't do, then that would be the reason to use it. Otherwise, it's it's really hard to like think of uh of like average users who don't have strong ideologies about centralization and decentralization using it over a centralized service because of the performance gains of centralized services. Yeah. I don't see anything else. Like I, I, I'd love if someone could tell me otherwise. Yeah. Sometimes I'm, thinking, I'm trying to find the reason there's no reason really. <laughs> <clears throat> it's a shame though, huh? Like, and this applies to everything I think is if, if, if you ask, you know, any product creator, anyone in the space, like, you know, why would they use your product or why do people use your product? And they answer because it's decentralized. Um, you know, they have put way too much stock in, in why people use things and, and yeah. this early sort of the ideologies and the value that people that are in this space currently and, and very early adopters have because the reality is there are some people that use decentralized exchanges because they're decentralized but that's like that if that's your market you're gonna have a bad time yeah because human nature kind of dictates 
that decentralization of a place to go to exchange things. You know what I mean? It's not like if I need some euros, I just go knock on my neighbor's door and I'm like, yo, you got any euros? Because I got some dollars and I need some euros. Oh, you don't need dollars? Oh, crazy. Like you, you kind of naturally think there's a place to go for that. You know, it's just like kind of human nature. And so there's going to have to be something else, like you said, besides just decentralized, besides just the decentralized aspect of it. Decentralizing for decentralizing sake isn't, isn't the answer. It's you're doing it for a reason. Like, and and it usually it's because of adversarial settings or robustness in terms of like, um, being able to not be able to be shut down and being more unstoppable. So that's either getting around regulation, that's getting around people who would like to shut you down, that's making sure that you can always provide service or anywhere in the world, regardless of what's going on in the world. Like, there's a lot of reasons to use decentralization for like being more robust, but more often than not, that's at a price of efficiency. Right. Well, and it's also, so going back to my earlier example, we can allow anyone to interact with any token, you know, via my crypto because we don't hold your assets. We don't, you know, we don't even know what, what shit tokens you have. Right. We don't have to like, we don't have to like be like, Oh, is this token a security? Oh, it is. Okay. Let's not like you, we can't, we can't offer that token where Coinbase does have to go through that process. Um, but the value, so the value comes from decentralization. Um, but the value to the end user is, I can hold all my shit tokens where I can't do that on Coinbase. Yeah, you're a facilitator, and like so, I think the yeah. like the value in companies that cater to decentralized networks is in performing like um, basically like allowing people to transition their assets or to like to transform their assets and not hold them. Like if you never have to take custodian custodianship, whatever the word is for that. That you don't custody? have to care in custody. That's probably the right word for that. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's not working this morning. But like, if you never have to take custody of people's assets, you can offer whatever service you want, and not have to. And, and you can do rapid innovation and add a bunch of features for people. Whereas, yeah. like a company like Coinbase can't do that, so they have to move slowly and make sure they're not stepping on toes and make sure they're not going to get shut down. And that's kind of the beauty. But it, it's also a different mindset of running a company that never takes custody of assets. Oh yeah, absolutely. Custodialism. Custodialism. Make it up. Custodialism of the the ecosystem. Um, what this is going to be a major hard right turn. What's going to be your acceptance speech, Taylor, when you do get the award? Potential. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Are you going to drop the mic? Uh, of course. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If you look at this list, it's it's pretty impressive. I'd be very surprised if I won. I'm just like really kind of I just had my mind blown uh that ours even like I even made this list. Like there's some really amazing people. I don't know, you're quite influential in terms of like uh it's not just what you've built and what you've enabled in in the crypto space. It's also your your personality and 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 how social you've been and like true to who you are versus selling out in a lot of ways that I think people admire. Like that's, that's an influence in itself is like, I, I personally believe you've been a strong role model for a lot of people and how to act and conduct themselves in this space. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Even if it means like cussing on Twitter for a while, like it's, 
Like it's, you're, <laughs> you've been a real person while also built a service that has helped a tremendous amount of people in the correct fashion for operating in this space. Like you're not you're not compromising in anything. You're offering good services while not like stepping on toes or, or, or blocking people out or anything like that. Yeah. No, thank you. I mean, that's it's it's this is like what I try to do and like why I'm here and you know, as I look towards the future and you know, it, sometime in the next year or two we're gonna have we're gonna experience the same thing that we experienced in like the beginning of twenty seventeen where the prices are all gonna shoot up. Something's gonna happen and you're just gonna see you know, an immense amount of new people enter this space, just like we did last time, but probably like 10x or 100x. And I'm sitting here going like, how the hell did we prepare for that? Because we were so unprepared last time and we were flying by the seat of our pants and everything was on fire. What, what do we need to accomplish between now and then so that you know, the next time people enter the space, we're not sitting there going like, oops, uh, we probably should have <laughs> probably should have done that or we probably should have fixed that or we probably should have made that help video or, you know, what are what are the things and what are the concepts? And I think, yeah, I don't know. There, there's a lot of little things that we can do to improve, but I think that we need to think bigger um, and we need to think about you know if 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 it's not all early adopters and people who are like emotionally invested in learning about uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or crypto or the blockchain how do you build a product for those people how do you you know if they don't give a shit and they don't want to read you know your your long ass articles of the Bitcoin white paper you know what does your products have to look like so, so that they can successfully enter this space and not lose their money and stuff i don't know it's a really hard problem and I, I think it's like we talk about the fact that a good portion of the people who use this technology or will use this technology don't give a shit but it's 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 coming from someone who has had the experience of people like interacting with their customers who more often than not don't give a shit it is, I think it reiterates that and I, I'm happy that you said this and it's not us talking out of our ass and I don't know how to fix that. Like, I don't like it's a hard technology. It's drastically different from an infrastructure standpoint and it's not supposed to be the same yet. We have to, we have this like job to try and make it the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While not compromising. Like, I don't, I don't like we had status. I, I listen to conversations and then different teams and like UX development and UX UI and all like all the all the the teams of people we have to try and solve this problem and it's constantly difficult in terms of like people saying I don't know how to do this or like like they're trying coming up with new ways of making it intuitive or like obvious in terms of like making sure people or have basic quality security practices or this type of stuff while also making it convenient and easy to use it's I don't know. I, I think whoever does that first in a really good way ends up being the thing that gets used the most, which makes them successful. But it's such a hard problem to crack. I don't know who's going to do it. And I hope Status does it because I work for Status and I like what they're doing. I hope you guys yeah. do it because I've been using my crypto for just about everything associated with Ethereum for the longest time. 
Sorry about that. We just yeah, had. Cause... Sorry, we just had um, Alina Vranova on the show. Um, well, I think was it last episode. I think it was last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about Casa as a custodial service, but like they're not. They're not an actual custodial service. They're teaching people proper methods for storing Bitcoin, like a lot of Bitcoin. So instead of like offloading their responsibility to a custodial service like Coinbase, they're teaching them the proper method for doing so. So they're more of an educational program than a custodial program, which I think is an important thing to do for this type of technology because uh, there's this general concept of as you decentralize things, the further you decentralize something, the more you push security practices and responsibilities to the end user. And so in order to mitigate security issues, as a security professional, you have to basically just educate people. And that's almost all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. What if you could like bucket users and consumers into like, have you ever seen one of those can, can't, will, won't matrix things? No. Like there's people that there's always, there's four types of people with things. They can do something and will do something. They can do something and won't do it. Right. So then there's people that are like, oh, I could, yeah. you know what I mean? There's people that can't do something, but will do it. Like they don't have maybe the capacity to understand it, but they have the effort to put forth the understanding. Those are these the people you watch closely because they break shit. <laughs> and, I know those people very well. <laughs> yeah. Because they're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I love doing it. And it's like, you're just going to break shit, man. Get out of the way. And then there's people that can't and, and won't. And if you can kind of look at it through those four lenses, then you can maybe start to see how to build products. Like for the people that can and will, then you can make an advanced tab for them. And they're going to click on that advanced tab. And they're going to see all the options they have in there. And the people that can't and won't, like they probably won't even be using your product to begin with but still have an option that protects them in case they accidentally find their way on your site. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing. No, but. I like that a lot. And I think, so we called the sort of um, the the can't but will user, we called mm-hmm. them uh, smart ass Sam. And they're like the person who like, they're the person who like refuses to read the onboarding model because they're you know they're they're too smart they don't need that that's for that's for noobs that's for idiots that's not for me um you know the person who doesn't send that test transaction who just like dives right in uh who just assumes that they know they know how things operate in this space and those are the people that we had to you know we had this trend where the brand new people who just really fundamentally didn't understand things and, you know, was being careful, but still lost. Those people would be emailing us. And then we got really, really good at educating them. And we made some, you know, choices in our user interface. And and suddenly the support tickets shifted to the the smart ass Sams, these people that can't but will. And, and that was like, you know, even to this day is a very difficult user to um to address and to try to get them to like hey yo slow down like and one of the reasons that you know the onboarding modal was so um like kind of direct and aggressive and fun was that we were trying to get them to also read it because the new people in this space that are not sure about anything and lack confidence they'll read it because they're trying to soak in as much knowledge as they will but we're trying to get the people that you know, usually click through it who are like, that's not for me. I'm too smart for this. 
you know, for some like the F word or something to catch their eye and be like, oh, hey, this is funny. And and somehow that knowledge would still, you know, penetrate that thick ass skull of theirs. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's I think there's a lot of different little things that we did for for all types of users, but it's super difficult to build a product for the the whole range, um, you know, and and being aware is a, is a good first step, but holy shit, like when you're, I mean, I've said it before, but we are literally building a product for like the most advanced people, like the people who know cold storage, who value cold storage, who are like, I call them like the people that are sitting in a field with their tinfoil hat on, with their mm-hmm. like air gap machine that they just bought with cash at a, you know, at the local store <laughs> the or whatever. Like, of the world. Yeah, like there's those people. And, and our product serves them, right? And then there's the people that um, read about some ICO or some project and are like, I want to get rich quick. Like, let's go, 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 go. And, you know, they're essentially like running across the freeway as fast as they can, not even like glancing in either direction to make sure they're not going to get hit, you know? And that entire range of people is building a product for the entire range is, is very difficult because mm-hmm. yeah, we're getting there. We're getting closer, I think, but we're still so far off. Like yeah, we need to think big... about like where you, where you are now in comparison to um, even a year ago. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and we keep saying that we're early and like mass, like, you know, mass adoption isn't here yet. And we have, we have, I think we have a good timeline to do it, but it's going to be, it's going to be bumpy along the way. We just, we're, we're, we're mm-hmm. like, all of us are in the trenches so far, so we don't get to see the changes over the time period. But like people who like step away for a year or come back, say like, "Oh, the space is way better than it used to be." At least I hope they do. Because I, I see, I look at your product now and what it used to be. It, it's a drastic change. I look at the majority of products now and what they used to be, and there's a drastic change. I mean, when we first started, our the main thing we talked about was the lack of infrastructure. Like it was hard to buy, it was hard to get, it was hard to use, it was hard to do anything, hard to store it. That's not the case anymore. You can do all those things. Now we're just trying to yeah. find interesting ways to use it and then scale it so it's approachable and, and more mm-hmm. usable for people who don't care. Now we're getting crypto banks. Oh, Lex Luthor over there. Coinbase. <laughs> That's one thing that perturbs me about this uh, industry sometimes is that we take a word... And like, just we'll stop using that word and then use a different word. And everybody thinks it's some new ooh and all. And it's like custodial services is what the fuck is that? You're a bank. Just say you're banking. For I don't people. know. Like, I think it's, it's like people are like, those are investment terms. And most people aren't savvy with money in the first place. And so like, we're starting to use more advanced investment terms that people would typically do that are in the investment world. And since money is an intrinsic part of, of, of like public blockchains, then you're going to have to use those, that language and you introduce it to people who have never heard it before. Yeah. Yeah. But is, is saying like, I don't know when it started. We started occasionally referring to ourselves as like a non-custodial wallet solution or some shit. Like, is that really a good way? Like, it's accurate, but is it easy to to digest in your head? And I don't know. Like, custody is a weird 
concept and it's sort of like decentralization once you get it and once you understand how the different pieces fit together yeah of course but you know before then you're just like oh that's you know that's a soup of words i don't know about yeah, that there's a lot of so what's <laughs> involved yeah yeah that's it so i think that we have to accept that most people are in this space right now and for the foreseeable future to for the financial promises and it's not necessarily like a hundred percent of people are aiming to get rich but you know i think that a lot of them are a lot of people are trying to more subtly you know make money or or be successful um and if we think about that then we when we look at like the use cases for the blockchain moving forward um we have like sort of three buckets of stuff that that can that people are going to want right so right now when you say what's the blockchain good for what are we going to use it for step one except that that everyone in this space is here not necessarily to like get rich but you know to make money or, or do something financially then then you have things like um so sort of like arbitrage opportunities right so you have like uh trading and and shorting and you have centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges and the shapeshifts and and all of these sort of services and these are things that people want to do and then you have sort of these like um like the land grab opportunities so the land grab opportunities are like the ans where everyone was like this mad rush to buy these domain names because hopefully they'll go up in value um, or the new one that we're seeing a lot of is like the collectibles and the the NFTs. So the CryptoKitties and the Gods Unchained and all of these products that you know you're gonna you're gonna take this thing um, and then hopefully time will pass and you'll be able to sell the thing for more money. Um, and then the last one is sort of like I don't know exactly what to call it, but it's like these time-based things, and these are in the Ethereum world, at least, these are the compounds and um, CDPs and staking and and those types of concepts where basically you say, "Hey, I've got a lot of time on my hands. Uh, I'll 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 let you do something with my ETH. I'll lend you my ETH, uh, and in return, I'll get interest on it." So that's what when I'm looking at this ecosystem and how it's going to grow, these products are the ones that you know, are successful right now and are getting traction right now because at the end of the day, they still allow people to make money. And I think it's something that people forget a lot when they're building products is that no matter how idealistic we are, this is as of now a financial platform and is probably going to stay, you know, really, really finance based for, for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more, but yeah, I keep looking. Should we transition into the interview? Corner? Yeah, we should. Sometimes. We should. Yeah, <laughs> why don't we do that? And we'll come back for a little, little, little end cap on the. Yeah. We got to talk about those amazing reviews we got. Yeah. On I got one pulled up. We got a super awesome review that I want to share with you guys. It's, it's pretty uh, funny. It's so good. Um, yeah. Uh, well, Samson Williams, he's an adjunct professor. Um, he came on the show. 
Uh, he's, he's they've got a course at UNH Law right now, which the program features. It's a hundred percent online. It's an asynchronous course. Um, so the video lectures and the coursework is completed on your schedule. Uh, you can do it in a year if you're quick about it. Um, it starts in the fall or it starts in the spring. They go over things like blockchain and law, tokenomics, crypto regulations, crypto economics, and blockchain governance. Smart cities is, is one of the, the courses offered in this entire package. Um, yeah, it was a pretty good, pretty good talk. He was a consultant. And uh, now he's an adjunct professor, and he travels giving talks. So without further ado, here's Samson Williams. Yeah. Here it is. Hey, guys. We're here with our guest this week, Samson Williams, partner at Axes and Eggs. Uh, they are a crypto mining company and blockchain consultancy. Now, this is usually the part where like, I read a quick bio on the person, but all I needed to read was one sentence, and I was like immediately intrigued. And, the, and here we go. Classically trained anthropologist, entrepreneur, and accidental finance expert who is happy to share the life lessons he's paid the iron price for. And I got to know what the iron price is. Give us, give us a little backstory on that. Oh, <laughs> uh, the iron price is that's just a reference to Game of Thrones. Um, you know, if you're from the Iron Isles, you, the Greyjoys, you pay the iron price for shit. Um, I'm sorry, I won't curse anymore on your. Podcast. Oh no, go for it. Please go do. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, some people pay the gold price and you know it's just uh I call I call trust fund babies genetic freeloaders. Um Ooh. because they arrive to their station in life riding on the coattails of their family members or their dad, their mom. And so there's many instances where you haven't actually earned your station in life. It was given to you. And so when I pay the iron price for something it's because I'm just a little black Mexican from East Texas, and I have a, reached a little modicum of success, but I've paid the iron price for this, and that just means I've fucked up a lot. Um, I've drained my 401k on multiple occasions to go off and do some wild, crazy shit. And then in retrospect, when people say, oh, why isn't this going to work? It's, and I tell them, hey, that's not going to work. Let's not do that. It's not because I'm right. It's because, yeah, I spent like $100,000 on something so similar. It's, it's almost a, it's a fraternal twin. So let's not do that. And so that's mm -hmm. the iron price. It comes with business experience where you know that sometimes you're going to end up in a fucked up food bar situation from jump. And so you don't actually need to go through the whole process. Um, I tell people it's sort of like bad sushi. If I tell you it's bad sushi, you should probably believe me. But if you really want to, you could try it. Hmm. Where in East Texas are you from? Uh, I'm from the center of the known universe called Waller. Um, it's oh, got like, my goodness. The Waller Bulldogs? Yes. You know this. See, the center of the known universe. <laughs> no, we grew up in Texas. Yeah. I'm in the, we're there right now. Yes, when I was right. in high school, we gave you guys some uh, a, a special learning in football. I went to uh, Harker Heights High School. Okay. And in, yeah. in the play, I think we played you guys um, late season when I was a senior, and I just remember you guys had a weird offense where you had no wide receivers. <laughs> Everyone was on the line, and I was like, "This is the strangest." They have like thirty linemen out here. No, I'm kidding, not that many, but. It was a very strange offense. Anyways. Uh, no, Waller is, it's like 2,000 people in it till this day. Um, so, 
Yeah, it's know. a small place. You guys had some choice things to say about us on the internet. <laughs> it was a very hey, fun, well, fun game. 15 years later, here we are from high school football to this interview. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Crypto. Yeah. So anthropology to crypto, that seems like, like you said, Cello, that's like a very, that's that's jumping paths right there. I don't even yeah. know what anthropologists do on a daily basis if they're not just like looking at people and taking notes. But I, how how did you you know work that from anthropology to to now you're a blockchain consultant? Um, well, it's all pretty similar. Um, first off, so Waller, Texas is East Texas, is a tiny town, and so the internet, uh, this this uh, phase of digital transformation, it connects people who would otherwise never meet, um, and so even though that there's seven billion people on this earth. I know where Waller, Texas is. You know where Highway 290 is. We could talk about Pluto ice cream and Papa Do's to no end, right? Those are all classic Texas type things. Oh yeah. Um, and so, as an anthropologist, I study people and culture. And so, I started out. Um, well, I actually went to Florida State University. We have a pretty decent football team. Um, and so, I studied anthropology because I wanted to work for Natural Geographic, uh, Nat Geo. And I ended up just. Uh, started my own company doing emergency management and that led me to a place called Fannie Mae doing mortgage stuff because um, in emergencies you have people start off as stress I'm sorry they start off as anxious they move to stress they can become panicked you just got to communicate to them before they become hysterical because you can't tell a hysterical person much of anything they won't they won't uh, respond positively so while at Fannie Mae where it was if it was a physical emergency, like your house is literally underwater, uh, you start off as anxious, you move to stress, you become you become panicked. We just got to get you before you become hysterical. Same thing happens when your house is figuratively underwater. Um, it's the biggest asset you've got, and so the same process flows through. So at Fannie, I did emergency management, and the last two years I spent as baby chief of staff for our ops and technology uh, executive office which sounds sexy, but I literally babysat executives. Um, and so people, if you don't communicate to them, if they're not happy with their work, they start off as stressed or anxious, they move to stress, they be, can become panicked, and they don't hit hysterical in the workplace, they just leave your company. And so the funny thing is about whether you're talking about banking or technology, there's still a person involved. I like to say that until the AIs take over, humans are the only customers you've got. And so where anthropology and cryptocurrencies come together is simple. If you don't have a community, your cryptocurrency just doesn't work. That's it. And so part of that is understanding you have humans. You just raised $10 million or $150 million. Your Filecoin, you raised $257 million. You just got elected. And so you have this big community of people who are looking at you for guidance, for directions, and more importantly, for inspiration, because they're opting to follow you. They're saying, I believe in your dream. I believe you're going to build this thing to make these things better, faster, more transparent, et cetera. Those aren't technical problems. Those are human problems. And so when we look at what makes a successful crypto, it really boils down to, tell me about their community. Do they have one? How engaged are they? Are they just speculators? Are they traders? Are they miners? Are they just you know bandwagon jumpers? 
And so when you get down, you put on your cultural or social anthropology hat and you look at cryptocurrencies as an industry, it's like, ah, now this is my Serengeti. Let me look at all the different fauna on it. And so that's where anthropology mixes with cryptocurrencies as well as just technology in general. So, so you have the the power, the superhuman ability to discern the slow no between the bullshit, as you say. Now, this blockchain space is filled to the brim with bullshit. How do you filter it down? Uh, everybody's got a first of its kind, unique snowflake of a project, right? It's like they're tell it, they're gonna crush it. They've got, they probably got some shitty graphic designs and no storytellers on their um, team. Oh yeah, oh yeah, right. And so part of it is you're, you're really smart, you're a cool techie, you're super smart at the technical aspects, but you can't communicate that out. So part of when we look at the bullshit, it's, okay, you're, say you're trying to raise $10, $10 million. You're a team of one. That shit's not going to happen. Um, one, you just, in many instances, <laughs> they just don't have the emotional awareness to realize that they're trying to be an army of one. And it's like, yeah, that's just not going to happen. Um, and then working within, I spent eight years at Fannie Mae, uh, working with sociopaths, you learn a lot about predatory <laughs> behavior and it's like, <laughs> Hey, that's just clearly a pump and dump. And you don't, I tell people all the time, I love the smell of a good pump and dump in the morning because whether you're talking about an IPO, uh, like Snapchat, or if you're talking about flipping houses, you see that humans super easy to stimulate them and get them aroused, right? Promise them something amazing, say the right buzzwords, and all of a sudden they're in it. They're like, yes, they don't even know what the fuck they're doing, but they're like, yes, let's do it. Um, I love going to football games where you have 100,000 people cheering, doing the wave. It's like the crowd becomes an organism. And so when you're looking, when I'm looking at ICOs, I'm looking at, I know that I'm playing poker, so I'm looking at the other poker players. And whether that's the pump and dump groups, whether that's the certain Slack channels or the Telegram groups, it's what are these communities talking about? How trustworthy are they? What's the social sentiment and what's the bullshit index? And so as I'm looking at all of these factors, it's sort of like predicting the weather. There's some dark clouds on the horizon. I don't have to wonder whether or not it's going to rain. It is. And so... That's where this. That's where the ability to discern the the slow no and the bullshit comes in. Yeah, slowly but surely, I'm noticing that people that have been in the space longer, they seem way more jaded and closed off, because it seems like everyone is looking for a money making opportunity. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, you know, and ourselves included, like we can't totally alienate ourselves out of that crowd, right, Cello? Because we. Uh-oh you know, look for sponsorships and things of that nature. Like we look for opportunities too. So everybody is so j- jaded. That yeah, if, I can, like, if I can't do this full time, I'll be jaded. Yeah. <laughs> nah, damn sure. <laughs> it's very interesting. You mentioned Go ahead, Cello. No, nah, I'm just agreeing with you. Like I, I get where you're going with this. Yeah. And community is a huge aspect of this, that people, <laughs> it's very funny is that I guess I've ch- tried my hand at like some, uh, casual consulting of people looking to get started in this started in this industry, and one of the things that I always tell them is, is it kind of aligns with you is that you know what's what's going to be your approach to building a community? And they're like building a community, 
why do I even, why would I remotely care about that? Why, why would I, and I said, because that's a must in this industry. That's not uh, something that just kind of grows because you make cool, shiny things. It's something that you have to grow hand in hand with whatever you're trying to do. So, yeah, it's, I actually, I have something I've been meaning to publish. It's called the Magic Well Formula. Um, I forgot I wrote it, but I just made myself a note to do it. And so when we're talking about your, say your community are your early adopters and your fast followers, that's it. So you can't build a groundswell, you can't get uh, adoption, you can't get mass adoption without those early adopters and those fast followers and then the rest of the folks who jump on the bandwagon. So the general premise of the magic well formula, and this is for crowdfunding and your ICO process is you need a social presence, meaning you need to be on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. Then you need to combine your social footprint with uh, conference appearances so that, again, people get to meet you in person, shake hands, kiss babies. And so those social presence, the conference appearance, they either do two things. They either introduce you to influencers who can introduce you to whales, and whales being investors, or you can become an influencer and whales will come to you. And so particularly in the tech side, the techies, they don't want to spend the time and energy and the emotional energy to actually create a personality, create a brand, and go out and engage people. Because the hardest thing when we do consulting is telling people, you are your first brand. People need to know you so they can like you. Because if they don't like you, they're never going to buy anything from you. And they're damn sure not going to give you money. Because um, th then I ask the question, when's the last time you bought something from someone you didn't trust? Is that true though? Because I always hear that you're supposed to, you're, you're supposed to buy something from someone where you believe in their why, not necessarily if you like them or not, but because you believe in the culture they're they're pushing. No, I think that believing in their why. It, well, let, let's go back a step and break it down. In order for me to believe in Dimitri's why, the merit, the merit, blah, the metrics. You got which, it. I've got to know who he is, right? I've got to be like just aware that he exists. And so it's like, oh, how did you find out about Demetric? How did you find out about Samson or myself? One, you just got to know I exist. Two, it's what is he saying? And so now it's I know Samson exists. I know Demetric exists. And now I like his sentiment. I like what he's saying. I'm curious. Now I'm going to turn that curiosity into interest to figure out what is his why. And so you're still going through that emotional process of determining, should I fuck with this person? Because growing up, it's super simple. Either I fuck with you or I don't. And so if someone asks me, it's like, hey, uh, the Bitcoin podcast guys, do you fuck with them? I'd be like, I fuck with them. Or you don't want it to be said, oh, the Bitcoin podcast guys, don't fuck with them. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it just goes back to, do people know you well enough to make an emotional decision because we think we make uh, quantitative decisions, but at the end of the day, it's do I trust this person? Do I believe in this person? Yes or no. And if the answer is yes, then they'll fuck with you. If the answer is no, it's like no fucking way. So, so if I think Steve Jobs is an asshole, I'm less likely to buy an iPhone, even if I do think that it's the most mainstream superior tech. And you know, I'm not talking about the tech adoption scale of early adopters to laggards. I'm asking you, like, when you approach it from a human level, like humanity's biggest challenge to tech adoption, because here we are nine years in the Bitcoin, 
and people are still saying how early we are. You know, what's what's the barrier? Is it all emotion? I kind of say yes to that, Joe. Well, we don't know Satoshi Nakamoto, so how am I going to create like an emotional attachment to him, or do so, I buy into his white paper? You I'm know on what the mean? same wave as you. I was thinking like that's the differentiator between Bitcoin and the others is that there is nobody to look to, but people are creating their own Satoshi Nakamotos. So that's, that's why true. Bitcoin is getting more and more longevity because people are saying, well, Satoshi Nakamoto was this cherub dream baby that flew down from the mountains and gifted us with Bitcoin. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I like angels. That's right. That would be buying into the why, though, wouldn't it? Oh, I don't think so. So l- let, me, let me throw it at this this way. Steve Jobs, no one needs to give a fuck about Steve Jobs because Steve Jobs isn't his product, right? You have an emotional attachment to your iPhone. It's like, oh, that's my iPhone. It's personalized. It has your password, your fingerprint, scans your face. It has all of your most memorable moments. So the device itself, that mobile phone, you have an emotional attachment to your mobile phone. And if you think you don't, just lose it. See how it stresses people out. It's like, oh, my God, where's my phone? Yeah. And so in that instance, because you have a product, you bifurcate the difference in caring and feeling between the executive and the product, because it doesn't matter who runs Apple. What matters is, does the phone meet my emotional needs that I that I've embedded in this object, in this uh, smartphone? And for the record, I think I have an iPhone, but the camera sucks. Because I've seen some Samsung Galaxy S9s and their cameras are kicking ass. Um, so I might have to dump my iPhone. Whereas with Satoshi, he's more of a mythological figure. He's akin to Santa Claus. People love Santa Claus. I've never met this motherfucker. He never dropped me off any gifts as a kid. I'm still waiting for him to come through. And so, <laughs> <laughs> hey, what you owe, Santa? <laughs> That's right. And so with people like, oh, Santa Claus, it's a myth that we all believe in. It's like the Easter... It's like um, the chupacabra, right, or the jackalope. And so it's like something you it, – it's a myth that people can believe in because people are enamored by the ideal of Satoshi. It's like, oh, man, he's like V for Vendetta. He came and he gave us this technology, this peer-to-peer cash system. I love it. I love what it could do. And, again, they're buying into the idea. We'll even say they're buying into the why, but it's because it's been – over the last decade, the why has been cultivated and cultured into this refined product where it's got so many people energized and talking about it. It's like, yes, I believe in Satoshi. I believe in block in blockchain. I believe in decentralized technology because of the transparency it brings because of this and because of that. And so it's they've reached a tipping point where if you ask 99% of people, how does blockchain work? They don't really know, nor should they. they. They shouldn't know. They are more enamored by the belief of what change it will bring, which hits to that underlining sentiment of people are looking for change. Then the question is, why are people looking for change? Why don't they, why do they say, oh, I don't trust the government? And that's the larger tone, that the larger pulse you should pick on because, pick up on because people are saying, I'm voting with my value, with my dollars, to switch from fiat into this crypto thing because I know there's something fundamentally wrong with society. I know there's something fundamentally wrong with how banking and capitalism play on our world. And I'm trying, I'm looking, I'm seeking a way to change that 
even if I don't know exactly how. Um, and that's why anthropology, that's why as an anthropologist, Bitcoin and blockchain is such a is such a rich um, ecosystem because people don't know that they feel insecure, hence why they're putting so much of their heart, soul, and effort into changing the way things are and looking often desperately for, they're mm -hmm. looking for a salvation, but they just never articulate it that way. Yeah, it's it's very... Um... You know, it's quite observation of you, observational of you to see that that's why they keep you see all these headlines like millennials love blockchain and crypto. I mean, because since I've been a young adult to now, I'm kind of middle aged adult. Everything is telling me my government is shitting on me. <laughs> like everything. I, I lived through 2008 now where the government was shitting on me. Um, now I'm finding out that like college debt is just this huge system created to generate like wealth for the baby boomers who forgot to do it for themselves when they were my age. And so it's like, okay, so they're making the call, cost of college go up because that's trickling into their retirement funds through shitty laws. So, okay, so that's my government shitting on me twice now. And so when crypto <laughs> came along, it was like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to at least decide if I get to shit on myself or not. So let me just go ahead and dive into this and see what this is all about. And I, I think it's, it's a great observation you notice there, so. Yeah, um, most people, you know, it's, it's no one wants to be that vulnerable to be like, oh, they lied to us about Santa Claus. What else have we been deceived on? No one wants to tackle <laughs> that. It's like all, all those childhood things that you thought were true, like, oh, American exceptionalism. Two cars in each garage and a two-car garage. I'm sorry, chicken in every pot in a two-car garage. And so we were at this point where the baby boomers and the baby boomers fucked us through debt. We have about $21 trillion in debt. And so as they all age out over the next 15 years, and when I say age out, they just get old and die. It's people who were born in 1980, 1990, uh, 2000 now who inherit this $21 trillion worth of debt. And now we got to figure it out. And yeah. so it's how do you figure this out when you can't even afford rent? You can't afford housing. Uh, the quote unquote American dream, it's so far out of reach, it's existential. And so as a generation, whether you're Gen Y, X, Z, or millennials, we're having, a, we're having an existential crisis because we're trying to figure out in this system where everyone is supposed to be exceptional and I'm struggling, why do I exist and how do I find my why? I think that's actually more of the point of where a community of people who is trying to find, to figure out why they exist and, and how to find their why and they're turning to technology. Because whether it's blockchain today or Tangle tomorrow or Hashgraph or whatever, or IoT, People are, it's still the human element. There's still humans behind it until the AIs take over. And they're always going to be like, why are we doing this? Hey, Bitcoin podcast, why are we doing this? Why are we talking this crazy man, Samson? Why are we so passionate about a blockchain? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of like when I talk to my friends about it. And I, I think they're, they're getting tired of listening to people like us who have drank the Kool-Aid and we're talking about blockchains doing this and it's going to change the world, it's going to save the world. But I also think like the other challenging thing right now is that it's it's difficult to talk about blockchain 
without talking about cryptocurrencies, you know, in order to, I read earlier this week that in order to incentivize, incentivize nodes to be part of your decentralized system, you need to incentivize them, which means you either need to be a huge company like Amazon, or you need a bank with lots of money, or you need to have an ICO, or you need to create your own token. And I think crypto got so hyped up last year that people are much more wary now of new tokens. They're sitting quietly. They're waiting to see some actual real-world applications. You're kind of in that camp, right? You promote the idea of separating the crypto from the blockchain, and that's going to be the way that this is going to connect. Yeah, um, absolutely. I literally wrote a post uh, right before we, we I joined this um I joined the uh, the the podcast, and it says, "Can a stable currency? Can you have a stable currency in a volatile economy?" And I said, "No, this is not my usual stupid question." Rather, when discussing the concept of a stable coin and cryptocurrency, it confuses the shit out of me that any thingamajiggy can convey value that can convey value can be thought of as stable. And so, part of it is there's we barely we don't really even understand economics. Right. Like what is this black magic that makes this shiny object worth that cow? Um, And so when we look at cryptocurrencies, there's still so much for us to wrap our heads around with tokenomics, with uh, basic um, economics and then just adoption, meaning it's easy for people to use them. But when you put cryptocurrencies in their own little bucket to say, oh, that's really cool. We're going to figure those we're going to figure those things out and you look at blockchain then it's what can you do with this technology that removes intermediaries and increases transparency because at the end of the day when you remove intermediaries and you increase increase transparencies there's cost drivers and efficiency gains that make the technology very profitable there's some other social things that you can throw in, but no one really cares about what the right thing to do socially is. They care about, is this going to make us money? And if it saves us money, that's as good as making us money. Mm. Um, so you'll, so I tell people when they're saying, hey, I've got a token. It does all these wonderful things. I'm like, where's your Chuck E. Cheese? Where can I use this token at? And that's where we get into, okay, you want me to invest in your research and design to execute your dream. I get that. I don't like your dream, by the way, because I've seen the same version of your dream with shittier design because you haven't called the Bitcoin uh, podcast folks to help you with your graphic design. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> shameless plug. I would have to be the um, – Chell, are you going to give yourself a pat on the back for that one? Yeah, because I wanted to say like every person that I bring that to, they groan. Like they don't want to separate them out. You can't have one without the other. So every time I meet someone that believes that philosophy – it's like, boom, I just set up a gladiator match. So. Oh, well. <laughs> you did, because I'm a Marge Simpson groom on that. There's my Marge Simpson. Um, I don't think you can, um, because all you, I think it's a, it's a very quick decline that goes from, if we separate the cryptocurrency from the blockchain, then those that are building and supplying the blockchains, they just become those same middlemen that we were trying to get out of the way. And we're noticing the trickles of that with EOS, you know, like EOS has these 22 validators or whatever. But as soon as one of them started disagreeing, they even said in a chat, they're like, well, let's just not talk to that guy and let's just talk amongst us and let's see if we can solve this problem amongst us. And in that system, you're already slowly leading towards that uh, malicious centralization. And I think the cryptocurrency aspect of it 
if the if the little if the token has value and if it continues to maintain and hold value and, and grow over time, then that's going to get naturally distributed amongst humanity, and there won't be a centralized party like Bitcoin is cool. Be- the only thing left cool about Bitcoin seems to be that it can't change. Like it's it's tough to change. There's no central. There's no 22 validators making sure everything goes right or left. There's no, there's none of that. It's just chaos. And we got a glimpse of that chaos, um, manufactured chaos at the end of 2017, I guess. I don't, I don't, I don't think you could separate the tech from the currency. I know that I'm probably outvoted nowadays. It seems like in this time frame that we're in. But I think if you separate the currency from it, then you just get a company or some large entity, like you said, Cello, incentivizing people to spread their tech everywhere. And then they become the ultimate arbiters and they have all the power. Um, well, when you talk about middlemen and you talk about power in particular, middlemen and the concept of power, those are human problems. Those aren't technical problems because the technology exists to remove them why that doesn't happen is the human problems. It's people started off as families, they moved into clans, now they have tribes, the tribes developed into kingdoms, the kingdoms developed into nation states and countries. And so within humans, there is no natural distribution within humans of like particularly of value or equality. There's no natural distribution. There is competition. And that's why whether it's Tron or EOS or R3, those are just new tribes. And they're all trying to develop their new kingdoms, and they're fighting the IBMs, the consensus, or not consensus, that's a consensus is still a tribe. Um, they're fighting the established incumbents because people, we've never evolved to be decentralized because the problems we're tackling is they're all human problems. Because again, it goes back to why do we need blockchain? And so if you look at uh, Satoshi's Genesis, it's he gives a reference to the financial crisis of 2009. He's like, yeah, this is fucked up and it's about to happen again. It goes back to, we're looking for trust. We're looking for something that we can trust because we have human problems. We don't have technology problems. And so blockchain is where you can, in blockchain, you can peel off the cryptocurrencies because that the cryptocurrencies, they are specific to address one type of trust amongst transactions. Then you have blockchain, which is like for Internet of Things, uh, all these connected devices. Uh, I was reading an article about um, AT&T and IBM. AT&T has like 44 million devices and whatnot. And they're rolling out a blockchain to connect all of their IoT. Are they a middleman? Absolutely. Do they, should, should they exist? Yes, because... Otherwise, how do you incentivize someone to build that infrastructure and then connect all those 44 million devices? So I don't. I think that we can clearly separate cryptocurrencies address one human problem: trust and transparency. Blockchain it addresses another human problem of I want cheaper stuff, I want cheaper IoT, I want cheaper services. Um, and so that's my perspective on this, but. You know, more more interested to hear what Cello has to say. Um, 
man, I really hate to make it two against one, but I gotta go with my man D here, just to, because I feel like it's only a matter of time before AT and T will be like, you know what, let's just come out with a token because we already did all the work. I think it's kind of a fusion of the two. It's interesting that you say we're dealing with human problems. That's actually something that I've said on the flagship. I think I said it a while, about a year back, that you know it's not necessarily about the tech; it's about humanity, and so I. I think it's going to be up to humans to decide which cryptocurrency we choose. Yeah. And I think that's going to be solely based upon how decentralized and non-trustable is that crypto. Because one thing's for sure, like, even if I'm in power, I'm not voting. Like, if I've been elected to a position to make a vote this serious, I'm not voting for a, a, a USD stablecoin to be the currency that the globe uses to balance its books. I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to vote for the Chinese yawn token, whatever they're making over there, whatever they're baking up, which is something serious. Like they're talking about trying to split the internet in five years. They're baking up something hellacious over there in China right now. I'm definitely not going to say everybody's using that unless you hold a gun to my head. Right. And so what, what I would do in my position, you know, if I'm, if I'm elected, I'd say, Hey, we're using something that, you know, is totally decentralized that no one has to trust anyone to use, and that would be but, what what I would do. So, but here's the thing, though: it's like no one, like people are, you know, like you know, take your television. Like I can explain to you how a TV works, but people don't care. Or your Wi-Fi, they just want a password. You know, yeah. shouldn't we try to focus on getting customers to care how Wi-Fi works, how to pay their electricity with Grid Plus? how to move them away from the banking systems, purchase a cold storage wallet, get them to remember their private keys. Nope, because humans are lazy. I so don't, if we want, if we want yeah. this to be a revolution, we have to keep pushing the narrative that the technology is going to be at the back end because we're still going to treat them like the customers of yesterday. And I think that's the barrier to entry. Yeah, but at the same time, there's so many technologies that have come, come through the pipeline that people just don't give a shit. Do you know how a calculator works? I don't. None of us here do, but I do know I have one sitting right in front of me, and it does all kinds of fancy shit that I needed to do. When I push that button for a parenthesis, I need a fucking parenthesis to show up on this calculator. Yeah, but now when you like, buy your TI-83, are you buying a national instrument because you have a connection with that company, or did you just buy the cheapest one that did all the capabilities you needed to? Um, Kind of both, but I nerded out over Texas Instruments calculators in high school, so that's a different story. Um, <laughs> so, and that's, you know, that's why I wanted Samsung, because I'm just so fascinated by the different avenues that people can connect with this technology, because I'm still trying to figure this out, and I'm a marketer. Well, So let me, let me throw something out to you, D. You said if elected, right? To, I did to, say that. that was, right? <laughs> That's your word. So if you're elected, you're centralizing power. You're centralizing consensus because you're saying, hey, all you people, elect me because you should like me. Rather, you should be aware that I exist. You should like me. And hopefully you're electing someone you trust. And yeah. so if you want to move to a completely decentralized um, ecosystem and life, it's it's very hard because that's not how people were. That's not people. That is not how people have evolved. That is not how cultures and societies have come together, because when you're talking about what Neo is doing and what EOS is doing, those are just two different tribes. They're two different tribes. They're on the steps of they're on the steps of Russia or the Serengeti of Africa, battling it out. 
to see who's going to have dominance. They're the Neanderthals and the Homo sapiens sapiens. Um, which is which, I don't really know. And so when I look at blockchain and I look at the conflagration and the uh, opposing forces, that's just competition. And humans have always been really good at competition. It's one of the things we excel at. And so when I look at blockchain, in order for blockchain to work, um, electromagnetic uh, radiation is how Wi-Fi works, the different pulses. No one gives a fuck about that, right? It's like the least interesting uh, conversation. But what you can do with Wi-Fi is amazing. And so when we look at blockchain, I came up with these four disciplines. I made a little video about them the other day. So there's four of them. One is tech. Right now, 95% of the conversation is in tech when it shouldn't be because not that many people actually understand the tech. And the tech is the least important part of the entire blockchain uh, journey. The philosophy is the, is the next part. So the philosophy is about decentralization, DAOs, um, what is public. One of the things I ask when I hold a class is, can a car own itself? And so we say, well, can a car, can a, can a cow own itself? Then we talk about a cow owning itself. Then we say, can a car own itself? The philosophy behind uh, trustless ecosystems, behind uh, transparency, that is completely different than the tech. But no one really talks about the philosophical components of blockchain, which leads us into the third point, which is the economics, because the tech is only there to create value, to create businesses, even if they're decentralized and ownerless. And so when we look at blockchain as a technology and then the economics, it's how is it impacting business? How is it impacting finance? How is it impacting trade? And so those are still evolving, particularly when we talk about tokenomics, because I don't really even know what those are myself, but I'm, I'm, it's getting clearer every day. And that last part, which actually stops blockchain and just any type of emerging tech in its track, are the humans. And the humans is the social nature of this chapter of digital transformation. It's the regulations that come through. It's the laws. It's how people... D and Cello are like, oh, no, I'm from this tribe. We would never do this. And the other people are like, well, we're from this tribe. Let's fight it out. Ah. So it doesn't matter. The tech is the least important part of this blockchain conversation. It's the philosophy, the economics, and ultimately the human impact. Because if blockchain was successful, if Litecoin replaced the U.S. dollar as the um, world's currency, there's so many political ramifications of that. And so... We don't talk about those enough, but let me tell you what people hate. Let me tell you what humans hate. They hate change. They hate giving up oh, their yeah. power. And so the tech, not important because there will be new tech that will be even better and more awesome than blockchain. But the humans, they will be consistently assholes. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. We despise something that is a constant and like an <laughs> only guarantee in life. It's like, oh, hey, change. Well, that's weird because it's like the only thing you can depend on <laughs> to, to happen is that shit's going to change. Yeah. Um, well, let, let me because this is my own thing. It's like I'm, I'm treating blockchain like it's the next Internet. Should I treat it like the next higher megapixel on a camera phone instead? That, yes. that So 10 years from now, like something's going to be better. Something is not going to be this revolution. Is, is that what I'm hearing? That I'm writing down that you call it the next higher megapixel because that's such a good analogy. Oh, um, 
Quote him. I'm quotable. <laughs> All <laughs> right. A good analogy. Because it's like uh, in 1986, we were going to tell you that, hey, uh, a, uh, a computer is going to change your life. You're like, what's the fuck's a computer? Then in 1996, you're like, oh, yeah, Wi-Fi is going to change your life. You're like, I don't know what Wi-Fi is. And then in 2005, you're like, hey, this thing called the cloud is going to fundamentally change the way you do business. And you're like, what's the cloud? And then 2006, late 2006, you're like, hey, there's a little black box that fits in the palm of your hand. It has the history of the world in the palm of your hand. You're most likely only going to use it to swipe left or swipe left or right on and take uh, Twitter pictures. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about and what's Twitter. Because when smartphones came out, they literally changed everything. And so those are all megapixels in this process. And so today's megapixel, I'm going to beat this analogy to death because I love it, Cello. Uh, to, <laughs> right today's megapixel is blockchain. The real future is, it, these are my opinions, is uh, Internet of Things because we don't know what happens when you connect everything to that much processing power. It's like, huh, I don't actually know when consciousness arrives, but it's going to be an interesting journey. Um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, because, again, it goes back to everything's connected. We're, we're literally trying to create artificial synapses. Um, and so between big data, big data, machine learning, IoT, and, and artificial intelligence, what happens when you get enough of these devices connected? Um, I don't really know. It's going to be very interesting because in that last chapter of digital transformation, uh, at least for me as a public health nerd, is organic computers because Cello's got a three-pound or three-pound supercomputer on his shoulders. We don't know how to turn it on. We can't build one. We can we can't maintain one. We can turn it off, but we can't ever turn it back on. And so technology, all these all these steps in tech and physical hardware and code, those are all megapixels until we get to organic computers. Um, so it's going to be a very interesting journey, and I really love this megapixels ex example. So I'm going to beat that to death and cite you appropriately. You can have it, man. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, we got a trademark question we like to ask on all of our shows. We'll have you take a shot at it. I like the red gummy bears. <laughs> And that is, um, in 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain? It's like a group text message. Nailed it. Okay. Like it. Like a group text message. Yeah, that's six words. Let's get to go. Put it in the books. Yeah. <laughs> so before we, before we conducted this interview, he, uh, he said he, you know, he checked out his website and he saw some of the guests and he felt like, oh, you know, he's included in royalty. I just got to say, like, I like, I like people like you that approach this space from a non-technical background, more from a, a cultural human perspective, because that's how I approach it. And please come back on soon, because I like people like you a lot, and it was a joy speaking to you. Cool, cool. My my last comment is, you've never met an internet an internet expert. You've never met a Wi-Fi expert. Because if I introduce myself as a Wi-Fi expert, you just ask me for the password. For blockchain to be successful, for cryptocurrencies to be successful, you will not, in three years, introduce yourself as a blockchain expert. Because it should be so ubiquitous and everywhere, it should be like Wi-Fi. D is not going to introduce himself as a Wi-Fi expert, 
And so people won't be introducing themselves as blockchain experts in mm -hmm. hopefully three years. Um, yep. And then in another five years, I assume that the AIs will make uh, blockchain-based applications and solutions just as quickly as you can make a website using Strikingly or any other. Any Have you been on else. LinkedIn? There's blockchain experts everywhere. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I tell people I'm not an expert. I'm curious and I'm fucking up <laughs> and I'm paying the iron price. So if you ask me, I will tell you that's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> blockchain uh, experts left and right. Yeah. I will tell you straight up, I'm a Street Fighter 2 expert, though, so see me on the sticks. <laughs> if anybody out there wants any of what I got, you can see me on that Street Fighter 2. And oh, I'll work man. my way up to Street Fighter 5. That's so um, 1993. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> These young whippersnappers and their good cell shaded graphics with Street Fighter 5. Uh uh. All right, 16 bits, baby. Uh, anyways. Uh, Thank you, thank you very much for swinging by, man. We really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, Cello and D. Talk to you guys later. All right. Take care, man. And that was the interview with Samson Williams. If you are interested uh, in the coursework that he's putting out, we will put a link in the show notes. You can go there. You can take the course because it's online. Uh, he's a knowledgeable guy. He's going to come back to the show because it was just a fun conversation. And now a special segment. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna read out loud some iTunes reviews we got a few months ago that we just saw, like this last weekend, and uh, they're great because we just want to let you guys know the kind of uh, audience that um that we bring to the table, and <laughs> I don't know, Gore, these what, how would you describe? I kind of want to I kind of want to like give some like read it as if I'm this guy. You should. You should. I'll see if I can do it. Okay. Know. Okay. Corey's going to read the first, the title of the first review. Hosts are clowns on the show, but not that funny. One out of five stars. One out of five. So you You're know gonna it's going to be good. This is by Kirk by Mountain. As, as Kirk Mountain. Got Go it August 16th, 2018. <clears throat> Thank you, Kirk. And here yeah. we go. Let me break it down for you. Three guys start a podcast so they can talk over one another and attempt to latch on to something as popular as crypto. So some poor fool listeners will tune into their shows. They used to have a show about trading, but the hosts are always clowning around and talking over the guests, so he left. One of the hosts has a PhD and loves to act like he's smarter than everyone else by being rude and cutting her people off. That's me, by the way. Not long ago, this doctor said self-driving trucks were coming very soon and all the truckers were going to be crying because they're so dumb and made poor career choices. Well, guess what? Uber is looking to unload their self-driving car division, so I guess the truckers are safe for another year. Lol. Yeah. Um, is he a trucker? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. He might be a trucker. That's, he's salty. Oh, that's some, pretty, there's pretty some upset. salt in the wound. Yeah. Either way, like, the joke's on him. I probably am smarter than most people, so that's okay. Oh. <laughs> Dr. Petty. I mean, yeah, it's not like... I mean, you're a doctor. It's like not a lot of people have that I'm on their name. If so. you do, like, this is my thing. I fucking dropped out of school. If you finished it, I've got mad respect for you. It wasn't fun. And you should. <laughs> you should yeah. plot that. Like, that's, I mean, how many years were you in school for? Over 10. Yeah. See, you, you, yeah, you, you, the rest of your life now, you get to, you get to flaunt your doctor. That's what. That's that's what that's what you spent fucking ten years doing. Well, it's not like I mean that doesn't make me automatically smarter than everybody. That's just having the acronym 
or the, the, the moniker doesn't make you smarter than everybody. It just shows the kind of uh, you're capable of doing a certain level of work. And that's really about it. This is the thing I don't get. They used to have a show about trading, but the hosts were always clowning around and talking over to the guests. So he left. First off, they I mean, didn't leave. Not... We stopped publishing their episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because of, a, and... because of a, an, an internal disagreement. We'll just call it that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so that's one star. Corey, we're clowns, but we're not funny. So we're like it. All right, here's the second one. This one's kind of decent. This is from Kingwood Bucky. I'm going to read it in Kingwood's voice. Great channel, comma, but dot, dot, dot. It's got four out of five stars. Couldn't make it to 100%. Got 80%. Overall, the content here is great and diverse. Gotta love D. He's a cool cat with great perspective. Thank you, Kingwood. A little hit or miss. Good stuff is really good. The only downside is just patterns. <laughs> I try to put it with this. Hey, you're, you're breaking up a little bit here. Okay. I don't. Am I? Yeah. Disconnect and reconnect. Your 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 connection. Which well, then you just read it. You just all read right. It. I'll I'll even try and continue in your in your in your backwoods voice. Yeah. Not sure how to put this, but Jesse is dot 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 a moron. Seriously. <laughs> He gets confused about some pretty basic things someone on crypto podcast shouldn't. Hard versus cold stage. I think that's supposed to be storage. <laughs> Private keys storage. versus seed phrase. His knowledge of some of the most basic things, crypto and overall, is just not there. Lol, who is Anne Rand and a personal possible to listen to? Hold on. Who is... He spelled that wrong. Anyway, maybe he shouldn't talk while he's thinking as clearly he has a parallel processing issue. Seems like a nice guy. But it's impossible to listen to. At least half the episodes aren't the headers. They are de-explaining things to him like he's a second grader. And I'm not convinced these guys don't do a couple of massive bong hits before recording this. Nothing wrong with that. But make it <laughs> interesting, please. Don't let Jesse talk. Yeah. Whatever, man. <laughs> the parallel processing problem. That's a pretty like, good I, one. <laughs> I love that. Also, Jesse is yeah. quite a smart individual, knowing him personally. <laughs> What's oh, hilarious? Hold on. Like the next one, <laughs> the next one is a is a very short one, which is just like I don't know. We get, we we cast a wide net, so we get the whole swath. This is just the headers. Exclamation point! Five stars from John Pock. Been a long time listener. Just want to say that Just the Headers is the best show on your network, except when Marcello is on. He's the worst. Marcello. <laughs> <laughs> He's that, only been on twice. Was it that like yeah. recognizable? It's like twenty six episodes. It's like twenty six episodes. Yeah. He's been on twice, and that guy's like fuck cello and everything about him. Oh, uh, thank you guys oh for taking yeah. the time to give us this feedback. Except for you, Kirk Mountain, you're an asshole. Yeah, but you can go Kenwood and John Pox, you guys are awesome. Uh, wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Oh, uh, if you if you like us reading reviews online, then send reviews and we'll read them. How about that? Just go to iTunes, yeah. submit a review, make it ridiculous, and we'll read it. Just give us five yep. stars. If you're gonna give us five stars, go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, I hope I don't break up, but uh, uh, thank you, Taylor, for swinging by again. And congratulations again. <clears throat> Congratulations again. Double congratulations on the baby yeah. and the nomination. Uh, yeah, so you guys know what the deal is. The Bitcoin Podcast.com. 
You can find all of our things there. We have 10 shows going nowadays around around the clock. Um, oh, oh. Bitcoin podcast. What's up? Uh, I'm interviewing Glenn Weil uh, tomorrow, which will be released midweek. So he's the author or one of the co-authors of uh, Radical Markets. So we'll be diving into some of his ideas in that book, which has kind of caught the crypto space by storm. If you're interested in that, check it out. Yep. Uh, Jesse's going on a pilgrimage. So just the headers will be solo for a couple weeks, a few weeks. Um, is that a dog? Growling? Yeah, they're oh, my dogs are, are ramping up. They're about to go on a, a tear. Uh, well, Taylor, plug my crypto, and then we can bounce. My crypto, it's a non-custodial wallet solution for all your Ethereum and token needs. Uh, nice. <laughs> oh, I'm going mute. Um, mycrypto.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom. We have like a new fancy footer that's launching this week, and and there's. A buttload of social icons. So whatever you prefer, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Discord or I don't even know, uh, you can find us on all those. And uh, yeah, can you launch? Can you launch with the fancy footwork from Chromio? You know that song? No, I know that song. Oh, I'm gonna sing you that song, and I hope that you launch with it. Okay, it's That's a pretty good song. Too. It's, it's not disappointing. It's a great song. I Google uh-huh. it and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's some. It's just. It's just like the still image for the video is just butts. Oh yeah, yeah. You you're in the right place. Okay, cool. Uh, You'll like the song. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> um, let me see. That's it, guys. Check out all our stuff. BitcoinPodcast.network.com. Uh, play the outro.